good to be with you all as we continue our journey through the book of 1 Timothy. If you're new here, we've been going through it about two months now, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We've had a lot of fun talking about great topics like his gender and human sexuality, gender roles, church leadership. And I got some good news today. It is not controversial. <laughs> Woo! You can put your tomatoes away, put your eggs down. Should not be controversial today. Doesn't mean it's easy. It's hard, but it's something that I think all of us know we should do. Because we're going to be talking today about caring for the elderly, caring about caring for our parents, our grandparents, caring for widows in the church and the obligation and duty that we have towards them. And we are in 1 Timothy chapter 5 today. And the first thing that we're going to see here is that Paul is going to lay out this idea that as a church, we are a family. We are the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let's start here in verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And so Paul describes these relationships within the church, and he tells Timothy, if you remember from last week in chapter 4, verse 12, that Timothy is a younger man, all right? He's not an old guy. We don't know his age, but Paul told him, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. And so he's on the younger end of the spectrum. And so Paul tells him now, when you interact with older men, do not rebuke them harshly. He does not say, hey, Timothy, as a pastor, you have no right to correct an older man if he's wrong theologically or if he's in sin. He says you still, as a pastor, have the duty to correct that, but you need to do it differently. Because he is elderly, because he is older than you, you need to treat him like your father. Rather than rebuke him harshly or sternly, you need to exhort or encourage him to change and to live his life in accordance with the Bible. He tells him the younger men, treat them like brothers. And we know that brothers fight, right? They butt heads, they get into arguments. But at the end of the day, brothers typically have each other's back, right? Someone from the outside comes in, suddenly brothers circle the wagons and they defend each other. And so he tells Timothy, the other young men your age, treat them like brothers. The yes, you argue, you fight, you debate, but at the end, you've got each other's back and you're in this together. He says, the older women, treat them like you would your own mother. Honor, respect, the same as with the older men. You can correct them, but do it in a kind, loving, honoring way because they are older. You treat them like you would your mother. None of us would talk back to our mom, right? That's a bad idea. Treat the older women well. And then finally, he says, with the younger women, treat them like sisters. And he gives this phrase with absolute purity. So Timothy, as a young man, he says, these young ladies, treat them with absolute purity. So you're not lusting after them. You're not hitting on them, making them feel uncomfortable. You're not taking advantage of them, abusing them, anything like that. You need to treat the younger ladies the way you would your own sister. That you want people to treat your own sister with respect dignity and honor, you need to treat those ladies in the same way that they feel comfortable and loved and not creeped out. So these are the instructions that he gives to Timothy. And for, for women, it would be the same thing, but in reverse, that we treat those older than us with honor and respect. Those that are our equals, our peers or below, we treat them as brothers 
and as sisters, with that same love, devotion, and duty that we would have for our own family. And this is going to be important here in a minute when we start talking about widows in the church, how we should treat them like family. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul's going to get into our main discussion now of widows in the church. He says, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. So he says, give proper recognition to widows who genuinely need help. And so these are widows, or they could be single ladies that never married, ladies in the church that don't have a family to care for them. And I recognize that things are a little bit different today. We have life insurance. We have social security. Our job market is different than it was back then because back then, most of the labor was hard, physical, manual labor, a place where men, because of their natural strength, could do better for a lady, an elderly lady. It would be hard for her to go out and just find a job. Today, we live in a society where many of our jobs are more about your mental ability, about your talent, your skill, the way you can deal with people. So you can be, you can be in a job that's not physically strenuous. But back then, if you were an older lady and you didn't have kids to take care of you, it would be difficult for you to go out to provide for yourself. And so he says, these widows, these ladies, the church needs to step in and care for them. If they don't have kids to care for them, the church needs to step in and take over that role. And we'll talk about that more here in a minute. But Paul gives us three reasons here why we need to make sure that we care for our mothers and our fathers, our grandparents, people who are older, who are in physical need. The first one, he says, this is putting your religion into practice. So if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice. We see this in James 1.27. He talks about the same thing, that he says, pure and faultless religion before God is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress. So if you're the religious type, that you want to know what do I need to do? What's the checklist to be religious? It's to care for the widows and the orphans, to care for your elderly parents in their need. His second reason why to care for them is that this is repaying your parents. All of us, had some kind of parent in our life that cared for us, right? They wiped our nose, they wiped our bottom. They fed us, they clothed us, they bathed us, they taught us to walk, they taught us to read, they helped us with our homework. They poured thousands of dollars into us for at least 18 years, for some of us 20 or 30 or 40 <laughs> years. But our parents loved us, put time and energy into us, and so this is a chance now for us to re pay our parents for what they did for us, to care for their needs the way they cared for ours. And so Paul says, caring for your parents is a way to repay them for what they gave to you. And the final reason he gives is that he says, this is pleasing to God. It pleases God to see you care for your parents. And there's two reasons, I think, for that. One is the fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother says, children, obey your parents, but all of us, even adults, honor your father and your mother. And so when we honor our father and mother by caring for them in their elderly age, we are keeping the fifth commandment, and that pleases God. 
The other reason I think this pleases God is that what we find in Genesis 1, almost immediately when you read through the Bible, is it says that he made mankind in his image. We are made in the image of God. And what that means is that we have intrinsic value. Simply because we are human beings, we have value as people made in the image of God. We don't have value because of what we can do, which you would call utilitarian value. We have value because of who we are. And to illustrate the difference, a car has utilitarian value. It's only valuable for what it does. If you get up tomorrow and your car won't start and it won't get you to work, your car is not worth very much. It's worth for what it can do. A diamond has value for what it is. Diamond doesn't do much for you. It sits there on your finger and stares at you. It has value because of what it is. And so we as human beings, we have value because of who we are. We are people made in God's image, even if we cannot contribute back to society, even if we cannot give back to the family, even if we cannot do anything, we have value because we are made in God's image. And so as Christians, that's why we are pro-life from the womb to the tomb, that the unborn baby is a person made in God's image that has value. The person who has special needs, who can't do much, is a person made in God's image that has value. The elderly person that can't contribute back to society or back to the family, they have value because they're made in God's image. And so when we care for the people made in God's image, that God loves, that he sent Jesus to die for, when we care for them and provide for them, that pleases God to see his precious child being cared for like that. And so Paul tells us as individuals, we have an obligation to our parents and our grandparents to care for them when they need it, to put our religion into practice, to repay our parents, and then to please God. But you know Paul. He's pretty bold, right? He doesn't hold back much of what he's thinking. Look down at verse 8. He's going to up the ante a little bit here. He says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So he says, If you don't, you are worse than a non Christian. You've actually denied the faith. And here's the deal we a lot of times. I think in 21st century America, we have the idea that being a Christian is kind of a head thing. It's a faith. I give an intellectual assent that I believe that there's a God. Or in my heart, I love God. I can sit at church once a month, believe that Jesus is God, and that makes me a Christian. What we see in the Bible is that what you believe, what you love, changes your actions. If you look over at chap the book of James, chapter 2, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And so the idea we see in the Bible is that your faith, what you believe, is going to affect what you do. And so if you see somebody, a brother or sister, in need, physical need, they need food or clothes, and you look at them and you just say, hey, good luck. Hope it goes well for you. 
Paul says that is not showing your faith. Your faith, if you truly believe in God, truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, it's going to change the way you act, and you're going to care for that brother or that sister in need. Faith leads to action. James even said, you know what? The demons believe there's one God. So if you just have it up here, he says, your faith should lead to action. Love in the same way should lead to action. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because he loved the world, he gave. And so what Paul is saying is what James is saying is it's not doing these things that saves you. But if you are a Christian and you have the true faith in God and you have the true belief that Jesus is the son of God, that's going to compel you to action to care for people. And so that's where Paul can say here, if you do not provide for your relatives, especially those of your own household, so especially your immediate family, if you do not care for them, that is showing evidence that you probably don't have a real faith, that you're denying the faith. Verse 7, he says, give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. And so when you know that the Bible commands you to care for your elderly parents and you don't do it, he says, you're worse than an unbeliever because they might not know. As someone at church who can read and see I have the obligation, who does not do it, Paul says, you're worse than an unbeliever because you know the truth, but you refuse to live it out. Our faith, our love always leads for action. And one of the ways that happens is in caring for the widows. So Paul tells us as individuals, you have that obligation, that duty to care for your parents and your grandparents when they need it. How we do that can look very different from situation to situation. You may have a dad that physically he can take care of himself, but financially he can't. And so for you, that may mean you have to shift some stuff in your budget to help support him financially. You may have a mom that financially is set, but physically or mentally struggles. And so for you, that means mowing her lawn and cooking meals and doing laundry, balancing the checkbook, paying bills. You may have a parent or grandparent that mentally is slipping. And being in a memory care center, being in an assisted living, that is what is best for them. But that doesn't mean that you're dropping them off and saying, call me when they die. That means that you're visiting them and calling them and talking with the doctors and caretakers and making sure that they have the care that they need. How we care for them is going to be different from situation to situation. Paul simply says you must provide for them. You must care for them as a Christian. So as individuals, we have this duty but then Paul's going to shift here and talk about how corporately as a church we have a duty because there's ladies in the church that either were never married or they were widowed and they never had kids or they have unbelieving kids who will not take care of them. What do you do with those ladies as a church, as a family? What do we do for those ladies? So let's look down now at verse 5. He says, The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. And so Paul gives this general idea here that the widows, that the church should help are A, those that don't have any family to care for them. They're all alone. And B, 
They are godly widows. You notice they continue day and night in prayer. They're trusting in God to provide for them. And he contrasts that with the widow who lives for pleasure, who is dead even while she lives. So he's talking about the godly widow who prays and trusts in God, and then the ungodly widow who's just living for herself for pleasure. He says it's this godly widow that the church needs to care for. And now down in verse 9, he's going to give us some more specifics as to who these widows are. He says, No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. So he says, these are specific widows here that I am talking about. And the first qualification, well, before we get to that, we need to talk about what's this list. He says, don't put them on the list. And the truth is, it's kind of unclear what this list is that Paul is talking about. There seems to be two possible things it could be, or maybe it's both. If you look back at Acts chapter 6, It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked and the daily distribution of food. And so what was happening is you had the Hebraic Jews who spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. Those widows were being cared for and the daily distribution of food. You had the Hellenistic Jews, which were Greek-speaking Jews, that for some reason weren't being included on the list of Um, widows that needed food. And this is where Pastor Alex taught us about a month ago about where they brought in deacons to make sure that these Hellenistic widows got taken care of. And so there seems to be this idea that they had a list of certain widows who needed the helps. And so perhaps the list Paul is talking about, this is the official list of ladies in the church, the widows or the single older ladies that need the financial or the food help. But if you look down at verse 12, it says, thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. And so there seems here as well that maybe there's this idea that these widows were pledging themselves to the church, vowing to the church that they would serve Jesus in the church. They would pray night and day. They would care for people in the church. And in exchange, the church would care for them. So almost put on payroll, given kind of a job at church. And so maybe the idea here is that they would make that vow or the pledge to the church. Some of the younger widows might break that. So what this list is, we really don't know. It seems to be a list of widows that need care. And perhaps in the same way, these widows had made a pledge or a vow to serve Jesus through the church. What we do know is that Paul gives these list of qualifications, the first one being she must be over 60. And is this a literal 60 is for all churches and all cultures for all ages, or is it more of a general people that are older? I don't know. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I do. We do know that Paul wants them to be elderly because he's going to talk here in a minute about the younger widows. So Paul says they have to be over 60. They have to have been faithful to her husband meaning the wife of one husband. This is the same thing that we saw, qualifications for deacons and elders who had to be the husband of one wife. These widows had to have been the wife of one husband or the woman of one man. As the NIV translates it, faithful to their husband. So this is a lady who has been faithful to her husband throughout their marriage until he passed away. Third, she has to be well known for her good deeds. 
And I love the phrase, well-known. This is a lady that when you see her, first thing that comes to mind is, yep, she's done a lot. She does a lot of good deeds. And he's going to give us some examples of this here. Notice he says good deeds such as, so this isn't an exhaustive list that you have to go check off each one of these. He's just saying, here's some examples of what I mean by good deeds. One of those good deeds, the first one, is bringing up children. So she raised kids. And that's an encouragement if you're a mom, whether of young kids or of teenagers, whichever is harder. If you're in here, you are doing a good deed by raising your kids. You are serving Jesus by raising your kids. Second, he says that they've shown hospitality. And the word here means to receive or entertain hospitably a stranger. So we talked about this with elders. They had to be hospitable, meaning loving strangers, loving people they don't know, loving people not like them. Now for these ladies, it has a deeper meaning that they've welcomed into their home and entertained these strangers. So this is a lady that's had a deep love for people, to have them over to her house, to invite them in, entertain them, care for them, whether she knows them or not, whether she's like them or not. She's washed the feet of the Lord's people serving God's people. And you've probably heard this before if you've been in church, but back then people wore sandals, the roads weren't paved, it was dusty, it was muddy, and so when you would walk over to someone's house and you'd walk in, your feet would be all dirty. And so the custom there, of course, was to not wear shoes in the house, so you'd take off your shoes, and then the lowest servant in the house, their job was to come wash your feet, get the dust and the dirt off so you would not track it around the house. And so he says, this lady is known for good deeds, such as washing the feet of the Lord's people. She has done the lowest of service to people. There is no job that was below her as far as loving and serving the church. So you have this lady that has served the church well, even in the positions that nobody wants. She has done it faithfully because she loves God's people. She's helped those in trouble those that are in need. She's reached out to them, helped them, encouraged them, supported them, done whatever she needs. She has loved people well. And then Paul says she's devoted herself to all kinds of good deeds. So he says beyond just these four examples, there's dozens of examples out there you can think of. The point is, this lady is well known for this. This is her reputation. When you mention her name, people say, oh yeah, she has served the church well over the years. And so what Paul says here is the church, this isn't just a retirement program for anybody, that if you're any lady in the community and you turn 60 and you don't have the finances come and now the church is on the hook, all right? That's not what this is. This is like Paul was saying with us as individuals. Your mom invested in you. You have the obligation to repay her. This lady, a mother in the church, has invested in the church, her family. And so now her family has the obligation to repay her by caring for her needs. And so Paul tells us, individually we have the responsibility. Corporately, we have the responsibility for care for those in our midst that need the help, that don't have the family to care for them, however that might look. Let's look at verse 11, because again, Paul's going to say, don't do this for the younger women. This is just for the older women. 
that need help. He says, as for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. For some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. Wow. So, <laughs> women are gossips. They follow Satan. They just have these desires to be married. And James said, nothing controversial today. <laughs> so James is either a liar or a sexist, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Well, let's go back and look at this and see what Paul is saying. So think about this scenario. He's talking about younger women remarrying and having kids. So these are, these are ladies that by nature would be teens, 20s, or 30s. Ladies back then got married really young. You'd get married in your young teens, probably to someone twice your age or even older than that. That was kind of the culture they had. So imagine a girl who's a teenager, 20s, 30s, young enough that she can have kids, and now she's a widow. Her husband had died. There's going to be that time of grief, the time of mourning, broken heart. Do I want to go through this again? And then Paul talks, we heard a couple weeks ago, about false teachers that would be coming in to say, to say, don't get married, just serve Jesus. And so you imagine this heartbroken young girl hearing a teacher saying, just serve Jesus, don't get married. Pledge yourself to the church. The church will support you. She doesn't know how to provide for herself. There's going to be that strong temptation to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to sign up, be on this list, serve the church. The church will provide for me. I'm just going to be married to Jesus, so to speak. But what happens with time? Broken hearts heal, right? You meet the cute boy. We all have those natural desires. When it talks about the sensual desire, this isn't a bad desire. This is a God-given natural desire that he puts in us as people made in his image for companionship, for love. So over time, these ladies could start to have that desire, I want to get married again. But if you've already made a vow to the church, to get out is to break that vow and so Paul says you shouldn't put these ladies on the list, put them through that, because there could very much be a time when their heart heals, when they suddenly say, you know what, I think I want to get married again. Again, that's a natural desire. That's a God-given desire. Paul's not criticizing the women for this. He's just saying this is what's going to happen. If you're young, you're going to have that desire to want to get married and have a family. And so second, he says they could get bored. They could get into the habit of being idle. So think about it. These widows were supposed to serve the church. A lot of that was through prayer. He says these widows spend day and night in prayer. How many of you think you could pray day and night for weeks on end? Most of us could not. Maybe an elderly person whose desires have changed, who is deeper in their faith. Because you know how it is. As you get older, your desires start to change. I remember when I was in high school and college, it's 10 o'clock on a Friday night. That's when you're just starting to think about going out to do something, right? Now it's eight o'clock on a Friday night and I'm in bed. <laughs> I'm ready to go to sleep. As you get older, your desires start to change. And so he says these, these younger ladies that will have this desire to go out and get married. Now, if they're on the, the basically the payroll of the church, so to speak, and they're supposed to serve the Lord through praying. 
they're going to get bored. And you got to remember, our culture today is very different from back then in that we have thousands of ways to entertain ourselves, right? What do you do if you're bored one day? You can go to the gym. You can go to the beach. You can go play pickleball. You can go play soccer. You can go do indoor rock climbing. You can do social media for hours. You can watch Netflix. You can watch cable news. You can do all kinds of stuff and entertain yourself for days on end, right? Back then, they didn't have any of that. All right, there was not much to do. The guys typically would work sun up to sundown. The women would have the kids all day, cooking all day. And then you go to bed and you get up and you do it the next day. Do that six days a week. Saturday's the Sabbath and you rest. And so people would be busy without a way to entertain yourself. If you're a young lady, the only thing to do is to visit people. And the habit of being idle, start going house to house, visiting maybe some of these other widows, maybe some people to talk and get some companionship. Because again, unless you're super mature in their faith, the idea of praying for hours on end is going to be very difficult for you. And so these ladies could get bored and then they could turn into gossips. Remember, there's, what are you going to talk about? You can't talk about the finale of your favorite show last night that was a cliffhanger because there was no favorite show. There was no TV. You can't talk about current events because there's no TV. There's no radio. The current events is your little village and whatever happens there. And so eventually he's saying, look, if these young girls are getting together with all kinds of time on their hands, eventually they could turn into talking about other people, about things that they ought not to, as Paul describes it. And by the way, this isn't a sexist thing about, about women. How many of you think it's a good idea to get young guys together to be bored? All right? Somebody's going to lose a finger. Something's going to get blown up or burned down. It's never a good idea to have this boredom. God made us as people to work. Did you know that? That work was created before the fall. Work was not part of the fall. God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to till the land and to keep it. God made us to work, to do things. What's the saying? The empty mind's the devil's playground or something like that. And so, Paul is saying here, if you have these younger widows, 20s, 30s, to sit around all day and get bored, start visiting, they could end up starting to gossip and saying things that they ought not to. Remember, back then, women pretty much weren't allowed in school, so they probably can't read. Even if they could read, books and scrolls were expensive, and so they would not have access to it. So it's not like they could just sit there and read their Bibles and study theology all day. So what does Paul tell them to do instead? And notice that Paul says he counsels them, all right? This is not a command. If you don't do this, you're not sinning or disobeying the Bible. Paul says, because of all this, my counsel to you, young ladies, is to remarry. Have kids. It's okay to move on. Your life's not over. Go marry. Have kids. Raise a family. Manage your home. That's what he encourages them to do. Don't think your life's over. My only hope is to marry Jesus and serve the church. That desire to get married, that's okay. That's good. Go do a good deed of raising kids. He tells them to manage their homes. It's similar to what he told the, the requirement for elders and for deacons to manage their homes. The word, the Greek word there for the, for the men is to lead 
or to stand before. So he tells the men, lead and stand before your homes. But he tells the wife, they have a really cool world, word. It's oikos despotim. It means house despot. So you're the ruler of the house. He tells the women, these young ladies, get married, have children, manage your house, rule your house, take care of the budget and the bills and the schedule and all those things. Those are good deeds. You are serving Christ by doing that. And then he says at the end of 14, to, give the op- and to do this so that they will give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. And that sounds harsh, and that sounds mean. What he's saying is this. If you remember, Paul cares deeply about the reputation of the church. You can't be an elder unless you're thought well of by outsiders, by non-Christians. You have to live in such a way that you have the respect of non-Christians. He wants the church to be a place that people are attracted to, that people want to come into. And so he says, if the church is known for these girls going around and gossiping all over town, that's going to give the enemy the opportunity to slander. Either non-Christians or Satan can slander the church of who wants to be a part of that hot mess. Just think of it this way. I haven't seen the shows, but I've seen the previews, so that counts right. But um, you think of the shows like The Real Housewives of Miami or Atlanta or whatever that are just full of drama and ladies yelling at each other. Paul says, I don't want you to have a show, The Real Housewives of Faith Covenant Church. (laughs) All right? That's not going to look good. And so Paul says, if you do that, If you start going down this path, you give the opportunity to the enemy to slander. Remember, Paul draws this strict line that if you're doing things the right way, it's godly. The wrong way, it's satanic. We heard this a few weeks ago that false teaching is satanic. And so Paul says, really, as though you don't realize it or mean to, if you are going down this path of giving the church a bad name because of your gossip going from home to home, you are really turning away and following Satan. You are hurting the church of Christ. And so Paul says... Church, take care of the widows. Those that are elderly, that maybe their desires have changed. Those that need it, care for them financially. Care for their needs. Make sure that they do not want. Younger ones, he suggests, hey, you should probably just try to get remarried. Raise kids. Do normal young people things. Don't think that your life is over. Don't commit yourself to something that down the road you're going to regret raise kids, love your husband, manage your house. Those are good deeds. Do those things. And finally, verse 16, he says, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. And so he says, listen, this isn't just something for the men to take care of their mamas. He says, if you're a single lady or a divorced or a widowed lady, and you are caring for widows yourself, your parents or your grandparents, if you have the financial resources, if you have the time resources, if you have the ability to care for them, keep doing it. Don't say, oh good, I can dump all these people on the church and let the church do it. He says, no, free up the church for time and money, resources to use for ladies that really need it. If you as a lady have the ability to care for a widow in your family, keep doing it. 
So as we close, I want to leave you with a thing of encouragement and then two questions. The theme of encouragement is this. If you are raising kids or if you are caring for elderly parents, you are doing a good deed. You are pleasing God. You are doing, you are serving Jesus. Because I know there's many in here that are in those seasons of life. Maybe you got it on both ends. Maybe you still got kids and you still, and you have parents to take care of and you're tired, and you're exhausted, and you look at church, and you're like, oh man, I wish I could get more involved. I want to serve in the nursery. I want to help here, but I just don't have the time. I want to encourage you that you are serving Jesus. You are doing a good deed, and you don't need to feel guilty. Now, if you're one of the people Kevin talked about last week on your deck chair in the middle of a battleship, and you have the time in the margin, you probably should feel guilty. But if you are just at the point serving your kids, serving your parents, that you don't have that margin, be encouraged that you are serving Jesus by doing that. My question for you is this. Are you caring for your parents, for your grandparents, for the elderly? Are you caring for widows, people in your life, people in the church? Are you caring for them? Maybe some of you need to pick up the phone this afternoon to call grandma to see how she's doing because it's been way too long. I know this is sacrilegious and you might pull your tomatoes out now. Maybe some of you need to skip the Bucks game and go visit mom in the nursing home to see how she's doing, to love on her. How are you doing in caring for those in your family, the elderly that need help? And then finally, are you known for good deeds? What's your reputation? If for whatever reason you were to be put on the list of widows or widowers or whatever, are you well known for good deeds? Would other people in this church, when they hear your name, do they say, yep, she serves in that church all the time. Yep, he is so kind and loving and helpful. She is so hospitable. What's your reputation at church and among your friends? Are you well known for your good deeds? And if not, what do you need to change so that that will become your reputation? Let's pray.